Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Iwakuni. Uh, as always, uh, blessed uh, to be here with you all today. Uh, it's always great to uh, gather together with the church and sing His praises and uh, spend time in His Word. And It's good to see some faces. Uh, some of you guys were away traveling and uh, even some familiar faces from, uh, from uh, Okinawa. Uh, seeing some familiar faces as well. So... Um, just good to have you guys with us and excited to, have, to see what the Lord has in store for us. Uh, I, I sound a little congested. I, I did catch a little bit of a cold this week. It's been a, a bummer. Uh, and so I'm praying that I don't have any cough attacks or anything like that in the middle of service. So, um, and I don't have to blow my nose or any of that kind of stuff. But uh, So you guys can pray for me as well. Um, at this time, we'd like to go ahead and let our elementary uh, children uh, to their a- elementary age children to their Sunday school classrooms. Uh, they're actually going to be. I was talking to Roy earlier this week. They're going to be learning about God's calling upon the life of Moses today. And so, uh, when you pick up your kids, you can ask them uh, some questions about uh, their Bible lesson today and the calling uh, that God had upon the life of Moses. All right, for us today. We are continuing where we left off last week. As I mentioned uh, last week, uh, today we will be continuing, uh, will be a, a continuation of the narrative Matthew gives regarding Pontius Pilate's handling of Jesus Christ. Last week, uh, we began the account of Jesus Christ being brought before uh, Pontius Pilate by the chief priest and the elders, uh, and they had every hope that Pilate would agree with them that Jesus Christ was deserving of death. And we noted last week how the religious leaders had good reason to believe that uh, Pontius Pilate would act favorably toward their request. Uh, For one, we noted that Pilate was a very ruthless and brutal man. He uh, was noted, we noted last week how history paints the picture of a man that was stubbornly harsh. He was exceedingly wrathful. And uh, he was accused of bribery and violence, spiteful treatment, and constant murders without trials. Um, In addition to his evil character, and, and quite possibly because of his evil character, his evil nature, Pilate was also being watched from the higher-ups in Rome. He was placed in Jerusalem to keep the peace and to ensure that there be no more rebellions or insurrections amongst the people. And he needed to keep things calm. And especially during the Jewish festivals when the the city of Jerusalem would would swell in size. And and so because of these two reasons, these two things, uh, Pilate's evil nature and his need to keep things under control, the chief priests and elders believed that they'd receive their desired outcome from Pilate. If you guys recall, they brought Jesus to Pilate and they told Pilate that they had found Jesus guilty Uh, of turning the people away uh, from their ways and forbidding people to pay taxes and uh, that he made claim to be a king. And after Pilate questioned Jesus about whether or not he was a king, Jesus answered Pilate saying, It is as you say. Uh, But he would not address at all uh, the other accusations that were brought up against him. And we left Pilate and he he marveled greatly. He he was, uh, this man was, uh, uh, before, this man before him caused him to marvel 
at his silence before the accusations that were being brought before him, his uh, approach to the situation. Okay? Uh, and he, Pilate seemed to be at a loss. Okay? He was perplexed by the situation. He was struck with wonder. That's what it means when he says he, was, uh, he marveled greatly. Uh, what to do with this man? And that's where we left off, and it's where we're going to pick up our account this morning, verse 15 of Matthew chapter 27. And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and make your way to Matthew chapter 27. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand, and we'll read this morning's text. Just as uh, a means to honor God and His Word. Um, in the Old Testament, they, they would stand at the reading of the, God's Word. And, and so uh, just want to follow in that likeness, just to honor the Lord and His Word. Okay? going to continue the, the narrative of Matthew's account uh, of Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. Uh, we're going to read through verse 26 today uh, in a message I've entitled, What to Do with Jesus. Let's read. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, it says, Now at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we um, take this time, this uh, opportunity to read from your word and to learn uh, uh, more of your heart and more of your plan for our lives. And Father, I pray that you would Open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us this morning. Lord, I do pray for myself that you'd get me through and uh, allow me to not bring any type of attention to myself or cause distraction. Lord, may you be honored. May you be glorified. May I decrease that you might increase. And Father, we just pray for a, a fresh understanding of your word. Lord, this is probably an account that most everybody here has heard before. But I pray that you'd give to us attentive ears to hear what your spirit wants to say this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Okay. 
Pontius Pilate is in a, a difficult place. He's um, really in a state of shock, a state of confusion. He really doesn't know what to do with this man that has been brought before him. Before we get into the details of our text this morning, I want to quickly turn our attention to Luke's gospel account of the same event and glean some details from his account that we don't have recorded for us here in Matthew's account. And so if you'd like to turn to the book of Matthew, just a couple books to your right, unless you're in a Japanese Bible, then a couple books to your left. Um, Luke chapter 23. Uh, If you can make your way there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. It's going to give us a little bit more details of what's going on uh, regarding this day and what's happening uh, that we don't get in Matthew's account. And so uh, Luke 23, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate, speaking of Jesus. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. And we all we noted that last week. But this is something interesting we didn't find. Verse 4 says, So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault with this man. I find no fault in this man. Excuse me. After listening to the accusations and the testimony of the crowd and having had opportunity to question Jesus himself, Pilate came to a conclusion. That conclusion was this man, although he claimed to be a a king, Pilate knew him to be of no sort of threat regarding a a potential uh, rebellion or an insurrection of some kind, the thing that he's there to control and make sure doesn't happen. He he looked upon Jesus and he knew that this guy's not a a problem. And he found his conclusion was, I find no fault in this man, according to Luke 23, verse 4. Pilate believed Jesus to be innocent. He found him not guilty of anything deserving of death. And so what now? Well, verse 5 through 7, I want to read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. It says, But they were, they were the more fierce, the crowd that is, the religious leaders in the crowd, uh, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Pilate believed Jesus to be innocent. He found no fault in him. But the people were growing more violent and fierce. They were growing in strength. And Pilate didn't have an answer for how to handle the situation. That is, until he heard that Jesus was from Galilee. When the chief priest brought up allegations of Jesus' teaching in Galilee, the light went off. Pilate saw a window of opportunity. Pilate thought that he could pass the responsibility on to Herod. Galilee was outside of Pilate's sphere of influence. It happened uh, to be under the jurisdiction of Herod, uh, who just so happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. And so Pilate thought he could free himself of the responsibility 
of deciding the future of Jesus by sending him to Herod and letting Herod deal with this angry crowd that was before him. I find this interesting because even though Pilate believed Jesus to be innocent, he was willing to send Jesus off to be tried again, perhaps to even be found guilty of charges. It was of no care to Pilate, as long as he didn't have to deal with it himself. He was okay with letting someone else decide on Jesus, and he would just live with whatever they decided. Guilty or innocent, Pilate would just roll with whatever Herod deemed fit. You know, people do that still today with Jesus. They don't want to have to decide themselves on what to do with Jesus, and so they look for an out. They look for a way to free themselves of the responsibility of having to choose one way or the other. I've talked uh, to some Japanese people before, uh, and some Japanese people that I've encountered, they try to do similarly similarly to what Pilate does here uh, when it comes to deciding on what to do with Jesus. They, they, like Pilate, try to associate Jesus with a certain place that's outside of their world, outside of their jurisdiction, if you will. And they'll say that Jesus is the God of the Westerners. Jesus is the American's God. Uh, They try to disassociate themselves from the responsibility of having to make a decision regarding Jesus by by simply saying, well, he's a Western God. And... uh, You know, let them decide who he is. It makes no difference to me. You know, and and this sort of attitude and mindset isn't limited to just places where Jesus is somewhat foreign. This mindset can be found in us as well. Instead of answering for uh, um, ourselves the, the question of what to do with Jesus, people all over the world will defer to others and let them decide. People will defer to to grandma or grandpa, mom or dad or wife or husband. They never bother to make a choice for themselves. They think they can just go along with what others decide and have that be good enough. It's not good enough though. You see, everyone must make this decision themselves. Everyone must answer the question of what to do with Jesus. You can't just go with what other people say and you need you can't just pass it off to someone else. You need to make the choice yourself. Pilate finds out that his great plan to let Herod decide for him backfires on him actually. Okay? Uh, if you were to continue reading in, in Luke, uh, you would find that uh, after questioning Jesus to no avail, for Jesus would have remained silent before Herod, just as he was silent before Pilate, uh, Herod ended up just uh, sending Jesus back to Pilate. And Pilate's right back in the same spot he was before. The responsibility of deciding what to do with Jesus is right square back upon his shoulders. What are you going to do with this man? And to make matters even worse for Pilate, I believe, there seems to be a growing amount of evidence now that his original conclusion was correct. Not only does he think Jesus is innocent of any wrongdoing, Herod too found no fault in Jesus in regards to the things that he was being accused of. 
And, and we're going to see this reoccurring cycle here today in Pilate. He will try and try to hand off the responsibility of having to deal with Jesus. And each time more and more evidence is going to build and mount that's going to more evidence to confirm what he already believes in his heart to be true. That Jesus Christ is innocent. Okay? Uh, let's get back to, to Matthew's account. If you guys want to go back there, Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 15 through 18. It says, Now at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished, and at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Pilate, having received Jesus back from Herod, now looks to another possible avenue he can use to once again uh, and once and for all rid himself of the responsibility of deciding what to do with Jesus. Pilate brings up a custom that was part of the day that involved the governor releasing to the multitude a prisoner whom they wished. Instead of doing the right thing, okay, uh, instead of releasing Jesus himself, he thought he could simply uh, compromise that he could get the Jews to do it for him. He can, he can compromise and, and say, well, I'm going to do the right thing, but I'm going to do it in a way that makes everybody happy. This custom of, of releasing a prisoner it, it, during the Feast of Passover doesn't have any sort of biblical precedent. Uh, you can't go back and find anything in the Old Testament and said, on Passover, you're to release one prisoner. Uh, in fact, if you look up, I was looking and looking, and hi- history really doesn't show uh, 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 an origin for this practice as far as uh, this happening uh, in, uh, in the, during the Passover. Uh, and so where the custom originated from, history is, is unsure. Uh, we do know that that's, you know, that happens. You know, even our president has the uh, ability to pardon people. Uh, and, uh, and so even back in that day, uh, Rome had the ability to pardon people from their crimes. And so uh, it's not something that's unheard of. Uh, it would seem that based upon the four gospel accounts that the custom was a Jewish custom that happened at Passover. Okay? Evidently, based upon if you read all the four different accounts and you put all the, the facts together, it would seem that the Roman governor would bring out select prisoners and based upon the response of the crowd, by applause almost, kind of like a, a pep rally or something, if you will, uh, whomever received the uh, largest response, uh, that prisoner would be set free and uh, allowed to... Uh, Join the multitude as a free man. Okay? And so whoever they yelled for the more, that's the man that the governor would release. And, and although history doesn't tell us the details for this custom, it would seem reasonable, at least I think, um, that the prisoners the governor picked for release would not be serious threats to the population or, or to the Roman occupation, right? Um, it just wouldn't make sense to release a man that would turn out to, to cause more trouble, right? Pilate's not going to release a guy who's, well, we're going to find out, 
it backfires on him. But, you know, the idea of some guy that's going to cause insurrections and riots and revolts and cause harm to the community, who, who's going to release a guy like that? Okay? Uh, I think uh, just reason and logic, uh, uh, to me, it says that perhaps the governor would select a prisoner that was in prison based upon maybe some uh, insignificant or trifling deed, uh, misdemeanors or something, uh, uh, you know, caught in, in a wrong place at the wrong time kind of a person uh, to which the, re- the release of such a person would not cause great uh, harm or problems uh, having that person set free. And of course, we can't say for certain. Uh, as to the details of this custom. So I admit that my reasoning is, is pure speculation. Uh, but I think it's sound. I don't, I don't think that they would purposely let go of people that are going to cause harm to themselves. And so I think it was probably minor prisoners uh, that would be set free. Uh, what do we know? Uh, we do know that, uh, that this pilot is seeking to use this Jewish custom against them. He's going to provide a way trying to provide a way of dealing with Jesus without having to decide for himself. It's a compromise between doing the right thing and making people happy. This too still happens today. People try to compromise when it comes to Jesus. And they try to find a good middle ground between doing what is right and what will make other people happy. They don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Okay? And so their walk with the Lord it's kind of a compromise, okay? I'm going to do what's right, but at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, ruffle any feathers or, or I'm not going to, uh, I want to make sure everybody keeps the peace and, and make everybody happy at the same time. It would seem that in order for Pilate to guarantee the release of Jesus, he would have to force the hand of the Jews uh, into selecting Jesus as the prisoner to be released per their custom. And so uh, his plan for accomplishing this involves a man by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas, uh, according to Matthew's gospel, was a notorious prisoner. The word notorious uh, means to be widely and unfavorably known. Okay? Everybody knows him and everybody doesn't like him. Okay? That is the idea here. Okay? The other gospel accounts tell us that he was a rebel. He was an insurrectionist uh, that was also a thief and a murderer. He, along with some of his men, were found guilty of murder during their latest attempted revolt. If you read those details in Mark chapter 15, verse 7. Pilate thought for sure that his plan would work and would allow him to, once again, get off the hook when it came to having to deal with Jesus. And his plan was simple. He would give the crowd a choice between Jesus, who was called the Christ, or Barabbas, whose name, actually it means son of a father. I found that interesting. Bar, uh, bar like uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, bar means son of, and Abba means a father, son of a father, Barabbas. Interesting, Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, the Son of the Heavenly Father, was pit up against Barabbas, a rebellious thief and murderer, the son of a father. On one hand, you have a man that was notorious for his evil deeds, a thief that will take what he wants without even thinking about it, a man that has taken the life of another and would seemingly do it again in search for the power that he seeks, 
Something like, I liken it to a modern day terrorist of sorts that will steal and kill to instill their way of life. And on the other hand, you have Jesus, who for the last few years has been walking throughout the land, teaching in synagogues like no man ever has, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, making the lame to walk, bringing back people from the death to life, teaching others to love one another, to turn the other cheek, to forgive and to take care of one another. Who would you choose? In Pilate's eye, it was a no-brainer. Who would choose to have a rebellious thief and murderer let loose in their own community, right? No one would do that. By default, they'd be forced to pick Jesus. And I won't have to deal with the situation. That's was Pilate's thinking. Or at least that's what his, he was banking on. Because he knew that Jesus was innocent. Okay? He knew that, as stated in verse 18, that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over because of envy. Pilate could tell that the chief priests and elders were envious of Jesus. The religious leaders didn't like the fact that Jesus was gaining popularity and beginning to sway the masses away from the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees as Jesus would describe it. They were losing power and influence and they needed to put an end to all of this talk about Jesus. Pilate's plan seemed like it should work. He's going to compromise and force the crowd to choose to release Jesus instead of dealing with Jesus himself. Now, something interesting happens uh, while uh, plotting this idea in verse 19. Let's read verse 19. It says, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Do you remember your dreams? Are you, I, not everybody remembers their dreams. I think some people are more, I, I don't know what makes someone more capable of being able to remember their dreams versus someone who's not. For the most part, I don't remember my dreams, uh, although there are some that are uh, very memorable. Certain types of dreams have, have a greater impact upon us than others. Uh, scary dreams uh, or nightmares, uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, they seem to, to stick with you, you know? Um, especially ones that, that cause you to wake up in the middle of the night. Have you ever experienced uh, those types of dreams before? Um, you know, the, the kind that wake you up in the middle of the night and you're, you're sweating and your heart is just beating rapidly. I, I hate those kind of dreams. Okay? Uh, and if you're like me, you've had those and, and they're not pleasant dreams. Okay? Um, they, they, you, you get up and you can't go back to sleep and you're just, your mind's racing. You're like, oh my goodness. And it's usually, you know, like, you know, then I wake her up and, and tell her about it. You know, it's, it's, uh, they're not enjoyable, right? And, uh, they can be scary. Uh, I believe that's the type of dream that Pontius Pilate's wife had. Remember that this is still early in the morning, when all of this stuff is happening. History tells us Pontius Pilate's wife's name was uh, Claudia Procula, and and that she was the granddaughter of uh, Emperor Augustus. And here she presumably wakes up after having a dreadful dream. 
And she seeks her husband, only to find that his business of being governor has called him out to duty already. And when she inquires for more information, she finds out that the very man that is set before him is the man that was in her dreams. What these dreams exactly were, we can't say. It would be pure speculation to to guess or suppose what it was that she saw in these dreams. So I won't even venture to say what it was. Obviously, it was something that she recognized Jesus for who he was, uh, at least as a prisoner before uh, Pontius Pilate. She recognized that. Word comes... Well, excuse me, the only details that we can gather is just based upon the response, what happened, right? She suffered many things in a dream because of Jesus Christ. I don't think it was a pleasant dream if she's suffering many things, right? Suffered many many things, uh, and and that it was vivid enough of a dream that it caused her to not only remember it, but to act upon it. Sometimes you might remember a dream and you just kind of think about it in yourself. There's other times you remember something and you act upon it. You're like, this was really freaky, or this happened, and I need to tell someone about it because it's, it's more than just some, you know, too much pizza last night, you know, uh, kind of a thing. Word comes to Pontius Pilate while he's sitting at the judgment seat, a, a place where he as the ruler would make decisions. Word comes from his wife that she has suffered many things in a dream because of this man, and she offers to Pilate some advice. She says, have nothing to do with that just man. And here again, we see that after attempting to compromise by uh, on having to make a decision regarding Christ, Pilate is given more information that points to the innocence of this man. Pilate's own wife called Jesus a just man meaning that she too believed him to be an innocent man, undeserving of the treatment that he was receiving. Let's see how Pilate's plan works. Verse 20 says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. While Pilate was receiving word from his wife concerning Jesus, the chief priests and elders were persuading the multitude to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus destroyed. It is amazing to think that these men would rather have a murderous thief set free amongst them than to have Jesus set free. It shows just how hard their heart had become and how wicked they had allowed themselves to become. How they were able to how, excuse me, how they were able to convince the people to ask For Barabbas, instead of Jesus, is unknown. Undoubtedly, I believe they perpetrated lies regarding Jesus uh, and the fallout that would occur if he were released. Uh, Jesus had a a, a good following within within the people. People liked him. People were uh, amazed by him. And and so they had to have said something to be able to make the, the crowd churn, whatever that may be. And to me, as I look at this, it is sad. It is sad to see these men, priests, who were entrusted with leading their people in holiness and righteousness, are here leading their people into deception and sin. Now, the scriptures, they they speak about those that lead and, and teach and the responsibility that they have. Uh, James speaks of how teachers will receive a stricter judgment. Uh, James 
chapter 3, verse 1. You know, the reason being is that they, they're granted a measure of trust. And if they use that level of trust to manipulate or lead people astray, they will be held to a higher degree of accountability. You know, James 3.1 is a verse that scares me. It causes me to make sure that things that I say from this pulpit are true. That they line up with the Word of God. And every time I speak, I do have a, a fear. I hope it is a healthy fear. A fear that I'm going to say something that will lead people astray. A fear of doing or saying something wrong. I often need to remind myself that Jesus hasn't given me a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But I, but I take this responsibility seriously. I don't ever want to mislead someone away from Christ. These chief priests and elders are using their power and using their influence to lead people into denying and ultimately crucifying their Savior, their King, their Messiah. They will, I believe, be held to a stricter judgment for their actions. You know, I think there's an application for us as well, and I'm I know you're not teachers. Uh, not all of you are teachers. Some of you are teachers. Okay? Uh, but it, just the idea of the responsibility that's been given to us and how we use that responsibility, how we use that influence. I think not, to a lesser degree, not the same as uh, someone who teaches the ways of the Lord, but to a, a lesser degree, I believe there's still an accountability for people and the responsibilities that have been given to them. And I hope and pray that you would use those responsibilities to honor the Lord, to lead people closer to Christ. Well, let's look here, 21 and 23, see what happens here. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Excuse me. Pilate's plan, it, it once again backfired. The religious leaders were successful in getting the crowd around them to support their agenda, and instead of asking for their king, they asked for Barabbas. Again, Pilate is bewildered at what to do with Jesus. He first tried to pawn him off on Herod. And when that didn't work, he planned a compromise to get the Jewish crowd to release Jesus as part of their custom. But that too has failed. Now he asked the question of the crowd, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate knows what he ought to do with Jesus. He ought to release him. Because he is an innocent man. But for some reason, Pilate cannot bring himself to do that. The, the question that Pilate asked of the Jewish crowd that day is a question that we all must answer. We cannot avoid it. 
We cannot run from it or ignore it. We cannot let others decide for us. We cannot work out some sort of compromise that will free us from the responsibility of having to answer this question. We all must answer this question individually. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What are you going to do with Jesus? Your options are, are pretty simple. Okay? You either receive him or reject him. You confess him or you deny him. You surrender to him as Lord and Savior or you resist him and the work of his spirit. What will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? The crowd had made their decision. They all said to Pilate, let him be crucified. And the crowd had made a decision. They wanted to crucify their king. Pilate responds, and as he does so, you can almost hear the disbelief in his words as you read them off the page. Why? What evil has he done? Pilate, again, testifies that Jesus hasn't done any evil thing that is deserving of crucifixion. And when he asks, he asks them why. He asked them why. Something they, they, it was something that they had no answer to. Uh, it was a question that Pilate had no answer to. Why? Why must he be crucified? Of course, we know the answer. Jesus needed to be crucified for the sins of the world. That is why. The scriptures needed to be fulfilled. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world needed to be sacrificed upon a cross so that your sins and my sins and the sins of every other human ever to live could be atoned for. That is why. Of course, Pilate is oblivious to what is really going on here. Again, he is just a pawn in God's hands. The crowd offered no explanation for their demand. They just yelled all the more, let him be crucified. From Pilate's point of view, what was meant to be a a proper trial has broken out into a lawless assembly where proper judgment and order has been discarded and replaced with the uh, compulsions of the masses. No need for a crime or a reason or evidence. Just crucify him because we demand it. Pilate again tried to release himself of the responsibility of Jesus. It's not recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, but again, it's in Luke's Uh, It gives us the details of a third attempt. Luke tells us that after the crowd demanded Jesus to be crucified, and Pilate asked why, that Pilate suggested yet another compromise. He told them that he would just chastise him and and let him go. Why? He doesn't need, I'm just going to, I'm going to chastise him and then let him go. Pilate said he would teach Jesus a a lesson, insinuating that he would have him beaten and then let him go. But the crowd would have none of it. 
They demanded all the more with loud voices that he be crucified. Three times now, Pilate has tried to free himself from the responsibility of properly answering the question of what to do with Jesus. And he's still not done. Let's read verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. The hostility and clamor of the crowd was intensifying. And according to John's gospel, they even started to call out an ultimatum of sorts to Pilate saying that if he let Jesus go, that he was no friend of Caesar, and whoever made himself uh, to be a king spoke against Caesar. Uh, they were basically saying, hey, if you don't do as we say, we're going to send word up to Caesar that you're in support of this man calling himself a king. And, and, and Pilate feels like his hands are tied. And when Pilate saw that the crowd was getting out of control and an uproar was upon him, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude as a gesture to show that he was innocent of the blood of this just person. Now the washing of hands was a custom that the Jewish leaders would do when it came to freeing uh, the country of the guilt of an unsolved murder. Okay? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, you can read about it, uh, specifically verses 6 and 7. They give specific instructions to the elders of a city that in the case of an unsolved murder, the elders were to wash their hands and to say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. There would be a sacrifice there and some running water that they would wash their hands over. Uh, this sacrifice, symbolizing like, hey, this unsolved murder, we, we have no idea what happened. We're not responsible for this man's blood. Uh, we didn't see anything. And so it would free the, the city of, of guilt uh, for finding you know, a, a dead body of someone that had been uh, murdered. And, and Pilate looked to replicate that Old Testament command from Moses to try and clear himself of any wrongdoing in, in the manner of Jesus Christ. Okay? This, of course, was ridiculous. Okay? The washing of hands was done for an unsolved murder. Okay, Pilate is going to sentence Jesus and have him killed by his own command. Okay, that's not an unsolved murder. Okay? He cannot absolve himself of guilt in this manner. He is the one ultimately responsible for handing Jesus over to be killed. He knew, Jesus was, he knew Jesus was an innocent man, and yet he's going to sentence him to death and see to it that it is carried out. Yet again, Pilate looked for one last way to free himself from the responsibility of what to do with Jesus Christ. In this last attempt, it was a weak one. There's no way that Pilate could, in good conscience, believe that he had nothing to do with Jesus' death. He had every opportunity to make the right choice, and he didn't. He knew from the beginning that Jesus was innocent. He found him to be without any fault. He could have released him first thing in the morning. But he tried to release the responsibility unto Herod. Then he tried to compromise and, and manipulate the customs by trying to force them to release uh, Jesus instead of Barabbas. 
After that, he tried another compromise to just, well, I'll just beat him and teach him a lesson and then I'll release him. And lastly here, he tried to wash his hands of the blood that was about to be all over his hands. Instead of passing the buck and and playing games and trying to work through loopholes, Pilate could have avoided all this if he would have acted decisively from the beginning. Well, the result? Let's read our final verses for today, verse 25 and 26. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The people there in the crowd foolishly asked for Jesus' blood to be on them and upon their children, signifying that they would take full responsibility of the shed blood of God's Son. Uh, But just because they said it doesn't mean that Pilate was absolved of any guilt, right? Just because they're, oh, okay, yeah, that means you're not responsible. No, that's not how it works, okay? It would be some 30 plus years from now, uh, almost 40 years from that time, that they would pay for their rebellion against God and His Son. Titus, the future emperor of Rome, would come in and he would lead the Roman troops into Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. And upon completing the military siege of Jerusalem, interesting, Titus, they went to give him accolades and awards and he denied them because he wouldn't take any credit for the assault and claimed that the victory did not come through any efforts of his own, but that he had merely served as an instrument of God's wrath. Titus knew that the siege of Jerusalem and how they would be laid waste was was him being used as an instrument of God's wrath. Well, Pilate proceeded to release to them Barabbas and he had Jesus scourged and, and delivered to be crucified. And we're going to cover the details of uh, regarding the scourging and the crucifixion next week. I'll give you a little bit of a pre-warning. It may be a little PG-13 as we look at the, the details of what a scourging is and what crucifixion is. Um, but I want to just draw our attention back, just looking at Pilate today. We see here at the end that Pilate gave in to the demands of the people. The pressure of the crowd did did him in. The pressure of the crowd caused him to go against his own conscience. He knew this man was innocent. Herod knew that this man was innocent. His wife knew that this man was innocent. And yet Pilate still caved to the pressure of the crowd. And, and this, of course, still happens today. People cave to peer pressure, the pressure to fit in, uh, and they will act against their very own conscience, knowing that what they are doing is wrong. Pilate did his best to try and separate himself from any responsibility when it came to Jesus. But no matter what he did, the matter would always come back to him. He needed to make a choice in the matter. He needed to decide for himself what he was going to do with Jesus. Ultimately, he chose poorly. Choosing to go against his own conscience, what he knew to be true, to give in to the demands of the crowd. 
You know, we too must all decide for ourselves what we will do with Jesus. In fact, this question is a question that we all have answered already. Do you realize that? You've already answered this question of what you will do with Jesus. Some of you have answered this question by receiving Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. You've decided that you will worship and follow Jesus, and that's a great thing, a great decision. For those that have not made that decision, they have decided to reject Jesus Christ. For you see, there's no neutral ground. There's no undecided. I'm still thinking about it. You can't be that way. If you have not received Him, then you have already rejected Him. If you do not believe in Him, then you have already denied Him. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. If you're not with Jesus, then you are against Him. You can't wait until later to decide. The decision has already been made. You're either with Him or you're not. And you see, you all sit, as Pilate did, in and upon a judgment seat. You are responsible for answering the question of what to do with Jesus. And the decision that you make is yours and yours alone. Nobody else can make that choice for you. You must decide. Unlike Pilate, though, the decision that you make has no effect upon Jesus. You realize that? Jesus is who He is, regardless of whether or not you believe in Him or receive Him. Just because you don't receive Him as Lord and Savior doesn't mean that He's not Lord and Savior. He is the Lord. And He is the Savior of the world. Whether you believe it or not. It won't affect or won't change the outcome for Jesus. Okay, Pilate had a decision. It was going to affect what happened to Jesus. But our decision does not affect what happens to Jesus. You see, the decision that you and I make, it, it, it affects us. Because it, is, because it is your eternal destiny that will be determined based upon what you decide. Or what you already have decided. You know, if you haven't made this decision to surrender to Jesus and to receive Him into your life, it means you've decided to reject Him. Currently, you stand in opposition to the Lord. And your sins separate you from the Lord. But here's the good news. Okay? Jesus allows us to change our mind. He gives to us a choice. He allows us to make a new decision. And you can make that decision today if you haven't yet already. Now, don't let anyone or anything stand in the way of you listening to the Spirit's voice, confirming to you what you already know to be true. Just as Pilate, he knew inside. 
what was true. But he let other things and other people sway him from making the decision he knew to be the right one. Don't be like that. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord, if you have not made that choice, is testifying to you right now. Testifying to you and telling you and confirming to you what you already know to be true, that Jesus loves you. That He willingly laid down His life for you to pay the penalty for your sin. That you might have the blessing of having a right standing with God. And don't be like Pilate. And think that you can pass the buck on to someone else or find some other way to excuse yourself from the responsibility of deciding for yourself what you will do with Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I do pray. And I ask, Spirit, Lord, if you are moving in the heart of anyone here that is not yet decided to receive you as Lord and Savior, Father, that they would respond. That they would decide. Right now they are standing in opposition against you. They have decided to deny you, to reject you, And Father, their eternal destiny is in a place called hell. A place uh, of great darkness and torment. A place, place separated from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would show them. And and convict their heart. Reveal to them the truth that you're bearing witness to. That they need to receive you and worship you, surrender to you. And I pray that you would do that work in their hearts, that they would not find themselves worrying about what others may think or what others may say, that they wouldn't be even pressured to make the choice, Lord, that it would be a work of your spirit and that it would be a response of what they know to be true on the inside. Father, I thank you for all of your children that are here this morning that have made that choice that have already decided that they will worship you that they will surrender to you as Lord and Savior and they will live a life that brings honor to you and I pray you would just encourage those people Lord that you would fill them Lord that you would uh, give them the strength that they need to walk in your ways Father we thank you for your word And Lord, as we look at this example of Pontius Pilate trying to absolve himself of any responsibility of having to make a choice for you, you made it so very clear that we all need to make a choice. Lord, I pray that we would all choose wisely. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you're here this morning and uh, you feel as though the Lord is speaking to your heart, and you need to get right with the Lord. I want to make myself available. I know I'm a little bit sick. But uh, to pray with you, to pray for you, um, to tell you what it means to receive Jesus Christ. And so if that's you this morning, uh, after we're done singing worship, come see me. I'd love to speak with you about what that means. All right. God bless you guys.